Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you You'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And a very warm welcome to another episode of the Lizard Wellbeing Show. Now, regular listeners may be expecting a Friday Five from me today, if you're listening in real time. But my team and I have decided to give you a one-off bumper summer special to celebrate the release of our brand new magazine issue, Lizard Wellbeing, which will be hitting the shelves from the 1st of July. And I have just had the pleasure of chatting down the line with Dr. Tina Piers, who is one of the fabulous experts that we feature in this brand new magazine edition. Now, since qualifying as a doctor in 1983, Tina has specialised in women's health with a particular interest in ensuring we have accurate, up-to-date information about the quality of life and the long-term health benefits of HRT. So we definitely speak the same language. Well, when her youngest daughter became severely ill with unexplained eczema, migraines, IBS, fatigue, and even the swelling of her eyes and her face, Tina became interested in another bodily chemical, perhaps just as important to health and well-being as our hormones. Well, this chemical is histamine. And after years of poor health, Tina's daughter finally secured a diagnosis of histamine intolerance in 2016. Now, in today's show, we're going to take a closer look at how to spot this very underdiagnosed condition, why it's becoming increasingly common, and importantly, what can be done to treat it. Do stay tuned to the end of the conversation because I couldn't help but also ask Tina to share more about her own decision to continue taking HRT after breast cancer. It's truly fascinating stuff. It's a great listen. Please do join me over on Instagram after the show. Love to hear your thoughts in the comments on everything that we have discussed here. But without further ado, let's hear from Tina. So welcome, Tina. It's really great to be able to get you here uh, down the line. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a complete pleasure, Liz. A wonderful opportunity to uh, increase people's awareness and knowledge about a condition that's currently very underdiagnosed and poorly recognised in the UK. I know it's extraordinary. It's been a fascinating journey of discovery for me and also I think for so many of my viewers and listeners. So brilliant that we can really help get this kind of early message out there because I think particularly for women, it's going to be very, very helpful. So I'm so looking forward to talking to you and really kind of going in depth. But can we go kind of right back to the beginning, really, and talk about what exactly is histamine and why do we have it in our bodies? Well, it's it's a normal occurring uh, biological um, amine, which is synthesized in the body, and it has some very important functions. Uh, it's actually made in the mast cells and the basophils and the platelets in our neurons and also in our gut. So you can see that we're sort of absolutely full mm. of uh, histamine making cells. Um, the most uh, important functions that it has is to do with the immune system. So the mast cells attract white blood cells to destroy any pathogens that come into any tissues, and that causes an inflammatory response. And it's also very important for the physiological functions of the gut um, in the production of gastric acid, which helps the digestion of protein in particular. 
Uh, and it's a neurotransmitter. So it influences our circadian rhythm, our sleepiness, our wakefulness, and our cognition. Um, and, uh, and often it's um, involved with pain receptors and the firing of, of uh, pain neurons. And, um, and so it is very, very important Wow. <laughs> Is there anything it doesn't do? My goodness. I mean, for something that we've not really talked about, I mean, in, in, it seems yeah. to have so many biological functions and be so essential. And yet I've never, never had anybody discuss histamine at all. No, I know. It's fascinating, isn't it? So it's got these really important functions, but the problem uh, is is evident when the balance is wrong between the production and the destruction uh, and the breaking down of the histamine. So it, it, it has to be kept in a fine balance in the body. And when the mm. histamine builds up and it goes too high, then the poor person becomes toxic and, uh, and their levels can affect all of their organs and all of their systems. Um, and wow. give them lots and lots of symptoms, which is why the symptoms can be so varied um, and can be so, uh, so yeah, so confusing for people um, mm. uh, because they, as I, we'll go through in a minute, what the symptoms are, and they are so there are so many symptoms. Not everybody gets all of the symptoms, and they might get different symptoms at different times. But certainly, um, you know, it, it is uh, has a very important role to play in the body. The the actual histamine itself is stored and synthesized in those uh, cells, but then it's broken down by two enzymes, um, the diamine oxidase enzyme, which is predominantly in the gut, and one called HNMT, which is histamine N-methyltransferase, which is in the nervous system and in the lungs and in the rest of the body. And it's when there's an imbalance between production um, and destruction that we get the problems. Now, some people will have... Um, an inability to make as much diamine oxidase and HNMT as they should. And this right, is so you end up with condition. too much histamine. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you've got you've got some patients who have, uh, and it's about two to three percent of the population uh, who mm. just have these genetic variants where they're just not making enough of these enzymes to help keep the balance of histamine in the body, and then you get other triggers which can be that um, there are um, excessive intake of histamine-containing foods. So mm -hmm. it's made in the body, but we also eat it and drink it. Um, and if right. somebody has a very high histamine diet, uh, especially with some of the foods that block diamine oxidase, such as mm -hmm. green tea, black tea, wow. alcohol, Ooh. and some medications, <laughs> I know. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> okay, so if you've got people who are eating and drinking too many histamine foods and foods that actually block the diamine oxidase activity, they can get into difficulty with high histamine right. as well. And then you've got um, patients who have gut inflammation. So if they have um, leaky gut syndrome, if they have SIBO, which I'm sure you've uh, heard about, yes. which is um, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which can cause inflammation, anything that causes gut inflammation basically can cause an increase in histamine. And that happens because if you imagine the gut wall, all the cells lined up, they're supposed to be a barrier and it's huge. I mean, the length of our gut is massive and it's forming a barrier against the semi-digested food and anything else that we ingest. Um, and um, when there's inflammation, it's not such a good barrier. The barrier actually breaks down. So it's a bit like having a, a wall with bricks. And when it's functioning properly, there's lots of mortar in between the bricks. But when the um, cells become swollen, that mortar falls out. And then you get mm. these little channels when semi-digested food can pass through into the body. Yes. And that causes a histamine response because the mast cells, which are to do with immunity, are on the other side of the wall. And they think, oh, my gosh, we're under attack. Um, this isn't supposed to be coming through. What is this? It must be a bacteria. And they release even more histamine in the body to oh try goodness. and cause an inflammatory right. response. And, you know, so that whole cycle can be very difficult. Um, so we need to think about the gut. Uh, and then chronic stress can also increase histamine levels. The mast cells, when the patient is, the person is stressed, will release more histamine uh, into the body. But um, the so we've got different causes, including the genetic yes. cause, uh, mm -hmm. which means that sometimes patients 
who have just the gut problem, when the gut is sorted, they will be fine. Um, the patients who are just eating far too much histamine and therefore using up their diamine oxidase too quickly, um, they can be adjusted with diet as well. Um, and, and then you've got the genetic uh, predisposition. They are more complex and more mm -hmm. difficult to help, but obviously we can do the right things can. to help them as much as possible. Yes. So coming and back the, the to, other, to, to sorry. the background. Mm -hmm. no, no, go on. No, the other thing I was just going to say was, I think that our modern diets are just too high in histamine. And that's why we're getting so many patients who are now diagnosed in the last 10, 15 years with chronic ME, with um, yes. fibromyalgia, rosacea, wow. with eczema, wow. psoriasis, <laughs> um, you know, uh, and, and so it goes on. And I think that we are, it's that group of people who don't necessarily have the genetic predisposition, but yes. are overdoing it. And a lot of the high histamine foods are healthy. So avocados, tomatoes, spinach, all the things that people, you know, say, well, really? yes, I'm having a really healthy diet. You know, I have yes. I have avocados on my toast for breakfast and then I have, might have yep. some in a salad later on in the day. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we're, we're all drinking fresh coffee. You know, when I was a little girl, you only had fresh coffee a couple of times a year at a dinner party and it was a big treat. Sure, um, yeah, and, it was always you know, now. Mm. Yes, always. And now it's everywhere, you know. And so you is, see is fresh coffee the... high in... In, in histamine because I'm I'm a massive coffee drinker but instant yes, isn't it is. or it has less uh instant has less but anything that's fermented and coffee is fermented so chocolate yeah. coffee dairy wheat um all of these are very high in histamine hmm. and, and I do know that okay so processed foods but coming back to the fermented obviously a lot, a lot of people yes. will be looking after their gut and their microbiome yes by having yes. kefir which is fermented dairy yes. and Having things, yes. drinking things like kombucha and eating sauerkraut and all yes. those, you know, pickly, pickly yes. things, miso. Yeah. Those are all yeah. high in histamine, if, are they? They are. And if you have plenty of diamine oxidase, then you're probably going to be absolutely fine. And they are definitely fine. healthy to eat. But yes. if you have a problem with your diamine oxidase or HNMT, then those uh, foods are going to cause you um, a, a real problem. A real problem. So yeah. these supplements that, that we need, the, the HTMP and, and the diamond oxidase, can we take them as supplements, as, as a precaution or, or well, not? We can't. We can we can't make take them? The, uh, we can't take the HNMT, but we can. There is um, a supplement called DAO or diacin. Yes. Um, and that supplement um, can be bought over uh, online. It is quite expensive. Um, right. It stays in the gut. It only reduces the amount of histamine in the gut. So um, it's useful to take it uh, maybe two of the tablets, 30 minutes to an hour before eating, if you're going mm -hmm. to eat out or have go to a friend's for dinner or a restaurant where you can't control the histamine content right. of the food so easily. Mm -hmm. So then it mm -hmm. can be a very useful thing to, to take um, uh, and help reduce the histamine load from that particular meal but it is expensive um okay so well useful, now what about but, think, you know. uh, what about things like antihistamines because i think most of us know antihistamines mm. with their role particularly during the summer months for hay fever yes um yes. are they effective in in this i mean how does an yes. antihistamine work yes so the antihistamines don't lower the histamine in the body but they block the receptors for histamine. So we have uh, we have four types of histamine receptors, but the two that we can concentrate on are the H1 and the H2 receptors. And um, we can block those with H1 and H2 antihistamines. Um, and uh, so, as I say, they won't lower the histamine in the body, but they will block the effects of it um, in different tissues. Uh, so, for example, the H1 um, antihistamine anti will block a lot of the skin effects where there are a lot of H1 um, um, histamine receptors and mm -hmm. the H2 will affect muscle um, and other tissues. So it's, it's um, yeah, so you try and block the effect of the high histamine. The most important thing is for patients to be eating and drinking less histamine in their diet. And um, is that the same if you have hay fever as well? So that's the same applies, well, that a, a low histamine no, diet can help? 
There is a difference, no, but there is a difference between allergies and an <laughs> allergic response and high histamine. So um, if, for example, somebody was allergic to peanuts, they could have a very severe allergic response, which gives all the same symptoms of high histamine, but in a very acute and sudden way. Um, so they would have... Um, they would have their blood pressure drop. They'd have a tachycardia, a fast pulse rate. They'd feel like they couldn't breathe. They'd get shortness of breath and so on. And that is life-threatening um, mm. and is an anaphylactic severe allergic reaction. Now, when we have hay fever, we're allergic to the pollen. So it causes yes. um, a histamine release in our bodies. And that gives us the itchy eyes, the sneezing, the runny nose, etc. Mm. Patients who have high histamine have some of those symptoms, but in a chronic way where it's, you know, it's just grumbles on and on and on. So, yes, mm. the antihistamines help as they do in um, hay fever. Uh, and uh, it's very interesting. Some of the patients say, you know, I seem to have allergic rhinitis the whole year round. <laughs> mm. And they've self-diagnosed that and they're taking antihistamines, which are helping them because they're doing the right thing. Uh, but they're not actually yeah. allergic to anything. It's because the histamine is too high per se. Um, yeah, so so we do, we do, we give them type 1 and type 2 antihistamines. Unfortunately, it's extremely difficult, almost actually impossible to get any type 2 antihistamines at the moment. Um, there was a problem that? that that's, well, there was ranitidine is, is the one we were using the most. And there was a problem, um, a, a company that was making the ranitidine had some excipients, they had some other uh, substances they were putting in the tablet, which was causing a health concern. So they had to withdraw right. it. And um, even though some of the other manufacturers weren't using that, they've all withdrawn them. <laughs> and, oh. um, and, and then we've got other type 2 antihistamines, which just seem to have dried up. So we were using ranitidine and formotidine and um, nizatidine, and they've all now also disappeared off the market. So so um, the regular antihistamines difficult. that we buy over the mm. counter, is it cetrazine yes. and loratadine? Yes. Um, they're yes. they're, they're good for yeah. they're, they're good for yes. regular hay fever, are they? They are. They're very good for that. And they're also good for patients who have high histamine. So that's something they can buy over the counter, but they must mm -hmm. take it twice a day. The, ah. um, the antihistamines are actually pushed off the receptors in about with about within about 12 hours so taking a once a day dose isn't going to be sufficient and it needs mm. to be taken twice a day um generally though we find they're not quite strong enough and the one i yeah. like to prescribe is called fexofenadine it's 180 milligrams twice a day the maximum dose being 320 milligrams twice a day so if patients really getting into trouble with their mm. symptoms they can go yeah. up to the maximum dose for a few days um, and that's quite safe for them to take that. So generally, I prescribe the fexofenadine. If I could prescribe the ranitidine, I would. Um, right. <laughs> and then some patients will have a mast cell stabilizer as well, um, because there can be an element of mast cell activation syndrome that also goes on with the condition. So if you can imagine, the mast cells are responsible for producing histamine and storing it and then releasing it when they think the body is under attack. Now, mm -hmm. if your histamine is very high, your mast cells think, my goodness, red alert, there must be an infection somewhere, I'd better release some more histamine. Oh, <laughs> and wow. so they become very sensitive, and they can release even more histamine into the system, which of course mm. increases the symptoms. So um, a lot of the patients respond very well to a mast cell stabilizer for three to six months, or sometimes even more long term than that which just calm those mast cells down. It takes about six months to replace all your mast cells. And so every month you're replacing a sixth of them. Um, and right. when, they are, when they are developed in a lower histamine environment, they are much calmer. So that's the rationale behind that, um, to try and you know, reduce all the horrible symptoms, which we can talk yes. about now, actually. Great. Well, actually, just, just yes. <laughs> yeah. So before we do that, I'd just like to finish off with hay fever because I know that's going to be front of yes. mind for a lot of people, more so yes. hopefully than, than people with major histamine intolerance. If we've talked a little bit about the antihistamines, if you do have hay fever and you are suffering yes. during the summer yes. months, is a low histamine diet going to help or is it not really relevant? 
No, no, it's not really. No, is it not? If you okay, not good. Issues, <laughs> I was just, I was just no, worried about not. my um, no, about my avocado no, intake. <laughs> no, no, it would be totally unnecessary. Totally unnecessary. So the the um yeah the antihistamines for the hay fever as and when necessary probably yes. taking them twice a day is probably better than once a day. Yeah, um, the non drowsy type is what I'd recommend yep. for that. Yeah, excellent, yep. good. So now let's move on to talking about histamine intolerance and I'm really fascinated to know about your personal journey and what drove you into this research because am I right in saying you were working at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital when you um, first yeah, started so, to, 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 to explore yes. this? Well my, my background is that I was a I trained as a GP and I worked for seven years part-time whilst I had my three children um, in general practice and then I concentrated on women's health and became a consultant in contraception and reproductive health. And I led the um, sexual health services, uh, particularly the contraception services in Surrey for 24 years, which was fantastic. I loved it. It was great. Mm. Um, and then I, and all that time, I was seeing women with menopausal problems um, and, and giving them HRT. Um, and so I've had a 35-year history of, of um giving women menopause, HRT for their Fantastic. menopause. Fantastic. Well, we'll talk um, about that later and, too. That's great. Yes. And, <laughs> and, then, um, and then I worked, um, as I became more and more uh, a menopause specialist, I then started working with Nick Panay um, at the Chelsea yes. Westminster Hospital. In yes, the big, Mr. And I know Panay. you know Nick, um, yeah, Mr. Panay. And I also work with him in, in Harley Street at his hormone health clinic there. Great. Um, and um, so I go into Chelsea Westminster about once a fortnight um, mm -hmm. But I also I'm I'm not leading uh, sexual health in Surrey anymore. I'm concentrating on my private practice, which is mm. seeing more and more menopause women because they just were so inadequately provided for yeah. Um, yeah. that I felt that that was the next thing to be concentrating on. Now, mm. my personal story with the histamine side of things is that uh, my youngest daughter, Jessie, she's had um, this problem from birth. Um, and we were initially told it was her, she had eczema, she had terrible, terrible um, infantile eczema. And, uh, and it, we were just given, she was given steroid creams, which I wouldn't put on her. And I mm. tried to adjust her, her, her um, diet, which we had did with some success, but we, I was doing all of this quite blind, really. I didn't know what was going on. I just felt that even though we saw dermatologists and GPs and so on, everyone just kept saying she's atopic. She's got eczema. Um, she mm. might grow out of it, you know, just live with it. Um, I just kept looking at her and thinking there is something more going on. She was always really pale. She always had a bloated tummy um, and uh, other symptoms that just didn't seem right. When the, my other children were sick with an infection, Jessie was twice as sick, you know, and it would last mm. twice as long. And um, because, of course, infections you get the symptoms of the infection and then it because the infection pushes your histamine up you then get the symptoms of high histamine and it's a continuum from the infection symptoms so you feel like she's just ill with you know a, a, a viral infection for weeks and weeks and weeks and then um we could we couldn't find any answers and um I, actually a dear friend of mine who is a chiropractor about goodness 15 years ago she said to me have you thought about histamine intolerance and mm. I thought well, I'd never heard of it and I looked it up uh, on the internet and there was nothing <laughs> there was there was like one wow. little paragraph on it and that was it and um and I just parked it at the back of my head you know how you do these things mm. and I just parked it there and thought I need to try and think about this at some point but I just can't find any information anyway um, when she was 16, uh, she went from school to college and she caught swine flu and oh she was goodness. very, very ill with swine flu. Yeah. Uh, she was super ill for six weeks and had terrible headaches, bloating, um, was as pale as a sheet. Her eczema became really worse. She was just super ill and the bloating oh, was extraordinary. She blew up with fluid. Um, and first of all, we thought it was just the swine flu. Then she became mm. the inflammation and the high histamine caused by the swine flu plus her condition. Um, then I believe gave her hypothyroidism. I think the inflammation in her thyroid produced hypothyroidism. So she then became hypothyroid and required some thyroxine. Um, and then when she was 19, she had um, chickenpox as an adult. 
um, oh, even though I thought thing. she'd... Uh, yeah, I know. And she was super <laughs> ill with that. I mean, really yeah. terrible. And again, it was because the histamine was joining <clears throat> in with the chickenpox. And she never really... Her, her, her health really took a, a, quite a nosedive at that point. Mm. And she didn't have any energy. Um, she couldn't concentrate. She had brain fog terrible migraine um and it was oh, just in a, in a terrible state the poor girl she decided that she would take herself in hand and she would bullet a whole load of healthy superfoods and mm. just drink that every day so of course she was doing avocados tomatoes spinach, oh my all goodness the absolute nightmare Liz it was dreadful over a four-week oh. period she became so toxic I have never seen anyone look so ill. It was oh, absolutely Tina. dreadful. Oh, it was so it was heartbreaking. Absolutely, absolutely. heartbreaking. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I do speak, you know, mother to mother, having lived mm. with Lily, uh, who I know mm. you know now. You know, treating mm. her for this with her migraine and seeing somebody who can become so debilitated and so sick yes. with with chronic yes. illness. So, yes. what happened? Does was... this story have a happy ending? It does because it was a, it was a very scary place to be. It was a yeah. very scary place to be, yeah. and and she um, she she had one morning when she well one afternoon when she rang me because her face had swollen up in the morning and she could hardly open her eyes and her mouth, and um, and she had she's so um, she's so sort of resilient and stoic. She was trying not to alarm me, so she hadn't told me she was living in her own flat at that point, and she. Uh, but by the afternoon, she was in an absolute state and she was having a panic about it because she couldn't touch her skin. It was so painful. She was uh, she was just couldn't even put cold compresses on her skin, which normally helped with her eczema. Um, and mm. and it was just and she could you know, virtually she couldn't drink anything because her lips started to swell and to blister. And How I rushed terrifying. over there and got her. It was terrifying. <clears throat> got her, sat her down, couldn't believe how awful she looked. She had something called dermatographia. <clears throat> which was that she had these funny blotches on her face. And if she touched mm. her face, it went white where she touched it. And it stayed for about 20 minutes. Um, and uh, dermatography is caused by high histamine. So, you know, right. I, I didn't know that at the time. I sat her right. down. We made a list of all of her symptoms. I then suddenly um, thought, histamine, histamine intolerance. Really? I must look at that again. This was yeah. in 2016, four years ago. I looked on the internet and there was more information and we were absolutely sure that that was the right diagnosis. Then we tried to find somebody who could help us, and it was virtually impossible. So we we had I, we took her to see six people, two professors, and nobody knew anything about the condition. It was totally out of their wow. out of their sort of you know <laughs> off their landscape. They just did not know anything about it. They glazed over when I said I thought that's what she had. In fact, we saw one consult, a professor in dermatology, who told me he thought she had a brain tumor in front of Jesse, in front of Jesse, oh because because she, I hope you managed to put him right. This, uh, absolutely, she she'd had this migraine for four weeks, day and night, and he said, oh. "I think she's got a brain tumor." And oh I looked God. at her; the look on her face it was awful. And I looked at her and sort of made a sign with my mm. eyes, like. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Don't worry, you have not mm. got a brain tumor. And uh, anyway, it was actually it was actually Nick Panay um, who helped really? me because uh, yes, because I said to Nick, uh, he, he I kept going into work and saying she's so ill. I think she's got uh. histamine intolerance. I don't know what to do. I don't. And he um, he was trying to recommend people, various you know top people who I could see. So um, uh, unfortunately, a few of them weren't any good. But then I said to him, he asked me, he said, how is Jessie? And I said, oh, she's, she's, it's definitely her mast cells, but I can't find anybody who knows anything about mast cells. And mm. he, with that, he went doing like a, a, in a light bulb moment. And he said, mm. I have a friend, uh, a colleague who is very interested in mast cells. He's a urogynecologist called Professor Vic Kular, and he's at St. Mary's Paddington. And he got him on the phone. It was just, it was the most wonderful moment. He put him on the phone to me and I, Vic was amazing. I talked him through all her symptoms and I said, I think she's got histamine intolerance. And he said, you're absolutely right. Oh, wow. Oh my goodness. It was such what a, what a, a moment. What a moment. Oh my gosh. 
I could have hugged him, honestly. It was incredible. He then said to me, is she hypermobile? And I said, I don't know. I'll text her. So I texted her and she came back with, yes, mum. I, I'm very, I've got very lax ligaments, you know. Oh, my goodness. Do you, you know that Lily, Lily's, Lily's hypermobile? Yes, I know. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So, yes, 80% of patients <laughs> who have this condition, genetic condition, are hypermobile. So it's fascinating. Oh, my goodness, I mean, I've gone very... all goosebumpy. This is such a, um, such a, like, a detective mm. story. I know, it's extraordinary, isn't it? And So, so how, how, how did Jesse get treated then? Well, then he was able to guide me. I was already giving her fexofenadine, but not enough. I was only giving her once a day, 180 milligrams once a day. He said, no, increase it. He told us about putting her on the type 2 antihistamine. Um, and then at various stages, he gave her mast cell stabilizers. Um, and he has really been incredibly helpful for us. Um, and uh, so that was fantastic. Now, we got some improvement. Um, we got quite a considerable amount of improvement. But she still was struggling. And um, and four years on, um, we felt that her gut had become a real issue and mm. that she probably had SIBO. And, um, and that had been developing because of some of the hist high histamine symptoms caused a lot of IBS symptoms. And they were um, causing this overgrowth of, of um, the wrong uh, bacteria in her gut. So this year... Um, my New Year's resolution was to absolutely sort her 100% and to mm -hmm. just keep digging and keep digging. So we saw, um, first of all, I also felt she needed some T3 to go with her T4, which the GPs were prescribing. What, sorry, so what's T3 and T4? So, okay, so, remind so, us. Sorry. So, so uh, thyroxine. So we have um, our thyroid gland makes T3 and T4. Um, and in the NHS, they only give you T4. Um, and assume that you've got some conversion of that T4 to T3 and that's sufficient. But actually, I felt that she was never controlled with her thyroid properly. So we took mm. her to see um, a lovely um, endocrinologist who endorsed that thought and gave us some T3. Um, so she has T4 and T3 now. And then we took her to see a fabulous endocrine, um, gastroenterologist called Professor Aziz, who knows about histamine intolerance and SIBO. And um, so he was a marvellous man to see. The problem is a lot of these patients get sent to gastroenterologists, they get sent to a neurologist, they get sent to a dermatologist. But if those mm. specialists aren't familiar with this condition, they yes. don't join up all the dots and they don't realise what's going on. And they these poor patients have multiple investigations at huge cost yes um, which yes. all come back normal they all come back normal <laughs> because they're not looking for the right thing you know yeah. um, so anyway we saw we've had a consultation two consultations with professor Aziz um, who is helping sort out her SIBO and her gut and we also um, had her genetic um, pathways uh, mapped out by this fantastic company called Life Code GX um, and uh, this wonderful woman called Emma Bezik, who is a nutritional therapist who formed this company um, that believes, uh, follows nutrigenomics. So she likes to look at people's pathways, see where the pinch points and the problems are with their metabolism and how they handle various toxins and things in the body. And then this how we can so support amazing. that. I know, it's crazy, yeah. isn't it? It's been a wonderful I mean, this, journey. This, this, well, this is a bit like science fiction, though, isn't it? Isn't this going into the realms of, I don't know. I mean, you talk about genetics and and mm. coding, coding of the body and, and getting to grips yes. with your DNA. I mean, is, is this the future, do you think? Definitely, Liz. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And what was wonderful with, with Emma, we did, we did Jessie's um, estrogen pathways, her thyroid pathway, her histamine pathway and her methylation pathway. And, um, and then after you get the results, you get a consultation with Emma who explains and goes through the pathways and tells you where the problems are. Fascinatingly, when Gosh. we got Jessie's result, she doesn't convert um, T4 to T3. She cannot make T3. So she absolutely needed to have the T3 to help support her body. She also has some methylation issues. She does have the genetic um, poor um the, the variant that means that she doesn't make enough diamine oxidase 
um, and the H&MT is also under pressure. So we can see genetically that what we suspected clinically is absolutely the case. Um, and wow. it's enabled us to drill right down into which supplements she needs. If you mm. can imagine, each chemical process goes through various different stages, whether we're getting rid of alcohol from our body or um, uh, anything in the body. Um, so uh, histamine, etc. It goes through different steps and each step is governed by um, a certain gene. And there can be variants on those genes where that step is very efficient or it's not very efficient. And those each of those um, genetic steps requires um, uh, an enzyme and the enzymes require cofactors. And the cofactors are things like vitamin B6 and B12, um, various different vitamins, um, selenium, magnesium, zinc, copper, all of these kind of trace elements. So by drilling down, you can actually see what's going to support somebody's body. And so you're not scattergunning it, but being very no. specific for them. And I really do believe this is the way that we're going to be practicing medicine in the future. We're going to this all know our genetic code. And then yeah. we will be able to know exactly where our issues potentially are. And therefore, mm. to support our bodies to hopefully avoid problems in the future. Yeah. Um, uh, such as, uh, you know, the oxidative stress that can occur in the body if we're not very good at handling, you know, hydrogen peroxide, et cetera, et cetera, all these um, things that need to be taken care of in the body, um, toxins mm. that need to be got rid of. And that's going to help us to be healthier and to stay healthier. And they, I also believe in the future, it'll enable drug companies to design, do designer drugs for specific genetic problems you know so right yes or genetic types certain, yeah mm. yes exactly genetic types so fascinating absolutely fascinating Isn't it? hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And what is yeah. the link here with with migraine? Because I first came, uh, or you first came onto my radar. I, I first became aware of your work through a little bit of detective work, having podcasted with Lily um, with her yes. chronic migraine, and her mentioning in that podcast that she was very <laughs> allergic to avocados. That got heard and picked up by a GP who knows you, who's worked with you, who then messaged yes. me to say, I think you need to talk to Dr. Tina Pierce because there could be a histamine connection. And that's, that's kind of how it started. But is there a histamine yes. link specifically that goes on with migraine? 
Yes, because histamine is involved in the neurological system, um, it actually, if you've got high histamine, then certain of those, um, uh, the levels in your brain will be higher and that will cause the, the tension and the pain in the head. We also find that patients get um, neurotransmitters, of, uh, pain neurotransmitters in their jaw, and they often complain about pain in their neck and their jaw. But when they go and have um, uh, examinations of their teeth and their joints, you know, mm. the, the jaw joint and so on, they're absolutely fine. There's nothing, but they have this terrible pain that's very real. And, um, really? and certainly... It, it seems to trigger off the migraine and the headaches when the histamine is high. So um, perhaps this is a good moment to talk about some of the symptoms um, that mm. people can get. And you'll see how they, uh, there, are, there are so many symptoms. And you'll probably tick off a few for Lily <laughs> as I yes. go through. But certainly mm. in the skin, it causes itchiness and patients become incredibly itchy especially their scalps for some reason. And in the evenings when the histamine levels go, uh, we have a natural diurnal rhythm and our histamine goes up in the evening. They often say, gosh, it's, you know, in the evening, my scalp is driving me crazy. I just have to itch and itch. They can also have itching off on their body as well. They can get redness and flushing, redness on their necks in particular, their upper chest and on their faces in patches. Um, they mm -hmm. can have rashes like little red dots that um, can become very itchy and they can have eczema, worsening of eczema. They can have urticaria or what people describe as hives come up, sort of swollen little masses on their skin. Um, dermatographia, which I've already mentioned, which is where they, um, they have a sort of redness of discoloration of their face. But when they touch with the finger and do like a little line, it goes pale and it might stay pale for 20 minutes. So they can actually write on their forehead. And it would, you know, look like right. <laughs> um, and uh, and then also rosacea. I have a lot of patients, especially at the perimenopause, who develop rosacea. And actually, if they lower the histamine in their diet, their rosacea resolves or is much much better. Psoriasis mm. is another um, skin condition. In the GI tract, they can complain of acid reflux, diarrhea, constipation, wind, bloating, nausea, vomiting. And intolerance to certain foods. So they might say, I can never have seafood. If I eat seafood, I vomit. Well, that's because seafood is incredibly high in histamine. Um, right. they, sometimes people think it's the, they've eaten some off seafood, you know, it wasn't fresh or something. It's not, mm. it's because it generally it's not. It's because it's just so high in histamine that their body just, the reflex is to get rid of it and to vomit. Fascinating. Um, so that, that can happen. Um, then we've got uh, in the respiratory system, patients complain of sinusitis, rhinitis, which is a dripping nose, uh, bronchoconstriction and shortness of breath, asthma can feel worse, um, and a chronic cough. Um, uh, my son, actually, he has, sometimes he has a chronic cough in the mornings, and he was um, told he was, he was allergic to this, allergic to that. But actually, if he takes Bexphenidine, he doesn't have it. <laughs> so, so he's definitely <laughs> to a minor degree. Um, yeah. the vascular in the vascular system it causes vasodilatation now because these patients have a lot of vasodilatation going on they usually have very low blood pressure and they can feel dizzy if they get up too quickly or they can just mm. feel dizzy if they're standing for a long period of time sometimes they can faint um, they can have a tachycardia which is a rapid heartbeat um, and feel palpitations they can get edema which is um, swelling of tissues, they can get swollen ankles, swollen legs. The migraine comes in there um, as well, um, and headaches because of the vascular dilatation, um, which causes, uh, and I think probably with Lily, this is what's going on. Um, mm. And the and they also get easy bruising and poor clotting. So sometimes they have cuts, which just they have to really keep putting pressure on to stop them bleeding. Yeah. But, um, and then the neurological insomnia, anxiety, memory loss, brain fog, poor concentration, oh panic attacks, <clears throat> panic attacks, <sighs> and chronic really? fatigue. So you can see now not all patients get all of these, although my poor Jessie did when she was um, <laughs> when she was in the midst yes. of her absolute sort of uh, acute phase. Um, she did get virtually all of these symptoms. Um, mm. Patients are also can be hypersensitive to certain drugs. So particularly non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, aspirin, codeine, 
and some general anaesthetics so they can have a pretty rough oh. time when they come round oh, from a general gosh. anaesthetic. So, and that would be so ibuprofen it, as well, would it? Yes, ibuprofen, neurofen, yeah. aspirin, codeine. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. To be avoided, mm. paracetamol is okay for these patients. Right. Um, it's useful for them to tell, um, if they're going to have an operation, to tell the anaesthetist that they have high histamine issues because the Royal College of Anaesthetists have got a leaflet out to guide um, anaesthetists about choosing the anaesthetics that don't increase histamine. That is just so fascinating. Now, I I, I read on your website that 80% of all those with with this issue are female. Yes. So what's, what's going on there? What's the hormonal connection? Right. Well, we don't quite know why genetically there um, is 80% female, but we do know that there is a big crossover with histamine and estrogen. So, um, mm-hmm. and Do we get onto so, the old yes, HRT issue now? <laughs> we do. We get onto our hormones. So, um, All leads back to hormones, doesn't it? Always. Oh, no, it's, we are our hormones. All roads lead to hormones. We, we, are, <laughs> we are our hormones, yes. So, so when, when uh, young girls start to develop their periods, their estrogen levels can go very high. And often that's when some of these symptoms can increase. And then mid-cycle, our estrogen levels are high. And again, some patients will describe symptoms that occur mid-cycle, like headaches or nausea, um, uh, and that can be the case. And then at the perimenopause, we have uh, big fluctuations in our estrogen levels. And if they go very high, which they can often do, um, then mm. that will interfere with the histamine levels. So estrogen increase, high estrogen increases histamine and high histamine increases estrogen. So they feed back on each other and give very similar symptoms, you know, palpitations, um, uh, flushing, t- uh, poor temperature control. These are synonymous with both conditions. So it can be quite difficult for women to work out what's going on. Um, mm. And often their symptoms of their high histamine are exacerbated at the menopause, which is why we get to see so many in our specialist clinics. Um, why would that and, be, though, um, if your estrogen levels are dropping during menopause? Well, they, they, they fluctuate. So in the perimenopause, they, go, they can be sky high and then they can suddenly drop. And right. the body doesn't like these fluctuations, which is why you get the symptoms. So, so when they're high, the histamine will also be then, you know, zoom up and then they get symptomatic. So they're going to have symptoms caused by both the fluctuations in their, in their estrogen levels and also with their histamine. And so... Um, we are picking these patients up in our clinics who are coming for the menopause ostensibly uh, and for help with HRT. When we take our clear history, our full history, we realise that they've got various issues that go way back um, and that Mm. they've had often chronically all their life. And sometimes patients are referred to us because they've been put on HRT, but they can't quite stabilise on it. And that's Mm. because you need to address both the histamine and the uh, menopause you can't just do one without the other so we have to um we have to get the histamine levels down for them to be able to be stabilized with the hrt so it's very important to do both and that's yes. how you see them yeah um, that is interesting and, uh, no, I'm, I'm, go on no no yeah, go okay i was going to ask you actually about about the hrt uh issue because yeah. i know that's front of mind to so many of the people who listen to my podcast here, and it's something that we've yes. covered at length. You've obviously worked in that area for a long time. Are you happy yeah. to talk about your own experience? Because I know you've had an experience yes. with breast cancer yourself. Yes, yes. And how did that manifest mm. itself in terms of your decision mm. to carry on with, with, with your HRT, knowing everything yes. in such extraordinary yes. depth as you do? Yes, yes. So I had my first breast cancer when I was 45. Uh, so I was pre-menopausal um, mm. I, um, and I found a lump and I was scared to death. Uh, I was absolutely yeah. Yeah. terrified because when I was dealing with breast cancer as a GP many years before that, um, the treatments weren't so good and the outcomes weren't so good. Um, but And things had moved on, but I hadn't really fully appreciated that. Um, I was um, I was given a lumpectomy. Um, I then had a micrometastasis, which is a very uh, less than a, um, a millimeter um, secondary in the sentinel lymph node, 
And in those days, they went and did a clearance. So then I had a big operation where they took something like 19 lymph nodes from under my armpit. Um, wow. uh, and the, to prove that they were all clear, and they were all clear, thankfully. So that's yeah. great. Now they don't do that. If somebody has a micrometastasis, they know that they've got it in the sentinel node and it won't have gone any further. So in those days, they were gathering that data and information to help women more now. So um, I also then had, um, I had radiotherapy and then I was given tamoxifen. Now, that was a very interesting experience. Um, tamoxifen was okay for the first four months. I still had my periods. I still felt fine. I still felt like a woman. Um, everything was okay. And then the next five months were sheer hell. It just threw me into a complete menopause. Um, so I, my estrogen level stopped, my cycle stopped. I suddenly looked much older. I felt dreadful. I became depressed. Um, and oh it, was just, it was just horrendous. So, you know, <sighs> I survived this, this uh, life-threatening condition, the, the breast cancer. Yeah. And then my life became not worth living. And I was actually planning suicide. Oh, my goodness. I had no so, idea. Yeah. Wow. That yeah, is really it was just, just it, was, it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. Um, and, you know, my libido went, everything. It was just like I'd lost who yeah. I was. And, yeah. uh, and I know a lot of women feel like that at the menopause. When their estrogen mm. switches off, they feel mm. uh, in, in, you know, like they've lost themselves. They've become this other person and they don't know where they've gone, you know. And um, anyway, so I decided that I had to stop taking the tamoxifen. And so I stopped it. And within three or four days, I started to feel better. And within a month, my periods had come back and my estrogen had switched back on. And I started to feel like me again. My skin was better. Everything improved. And when I went to see my oncologist and uh, surgeon, I said, look, I, you know, I felt a bit guilty. I said, I've stopped taking it. I said, I want you to tell me exactly what benefit it was giving me in in numbers mm. not just you know they, they they um i think they're probably better much better now but in those days they just said oh it, it reduces your risk of recurrence by 50 percent, so you need to take it and they didn't tell you what your risk of recurrence was now i was going to say 50 percent. you always think it's it's half but it's not that the risk yeah. is is not that yeah. the numbers are no. it's they're presented exactly. in such a difficult way sometimes to understand so exactly. what did that actually mean well, what that actually meant was in 10 years, uh, my age, my kind of cancer, everything matching, 100 women, out of 100 women, four would be dead in 10 years from now, 3.6 of those deaths would be from other causes. 0.4 of a death what? would be from the cancer. Yes. So put in, in 10 years, there over would 10 be years with 100 of a women. Death. Yes, point four would and be And you have your life destroyed and, for that risk. Yes, but, and then when you yes, but, take into account well, no, the no. risk of... Uh, go yeah, on. But Liz, that risk was the same whether I took the tamoxifen or not. Well, no, you're not serious. I am that serious. That is outrageous. So I, there was no yes. risk then. There's, there's no risk no. Is, is what it means. There's no, a neutral there was, risk. It was not... No risk of you risk stopping of taking it. So why were you no. taking it? Well, because why, the, why the were you taking it? They said the risk of recurrence was reduced by 50%. Now, my risk of recurrence was somewhere between 6 and 9% if I was on the tamoxifen, which meant it was, um, it was 12 to 18% if I wasn't on the tamoxifen because I was premenopausal and so on. Now, I decided that that meant there was an 82% risk of not, uh, in the worst case scenario, of not having a recurrence. And therefore, that was absolutely worth um, not taking the tamoxifen for. <laughs> and, um, and so I decided that was the risk I was willing to take. Now, when I, I was 48, so I was 45 at that time, when I was 48, I started to feel like I was on tamoxifen again. Of course, that was my menopause coming. Right, so, losing your estrogen um, I again. Started to get, yeah. Yes, I started to get the menopausal, perimenopausal symptoms. And I, it terrified me because I knew how awful I'd felt. And I started to right. see myself going into that place again. And so yeah. I then, I, and it was extraordinary, I was in denial a bit because I didn't want to have to face the decision about whether to go on HRT because I was giving mm. out HRT to loads of women and looking after them. And I thought, no one's going to want to give it to me because I've had breast cancer. And mm. so that was a real dilemma for me. So I kept sort of putting off making a decision about it. And then one day I was sitting in a conference in Venice in this beautiful conference hall and this German professor got up and he said, this lecture is about 
um, HRT post breast cancer. And Ooh, so I thought, my God, this is for me. Oh, this is for me. <laughs> and he went through 30 symptoms at the menopause and I ticked every single one of them. And then oh, he said, now, yeah. you know, these are the studies that show there is no increased risk in women. And we have about 20 studies that have been published um, between 20, uh, 2002 and 2015 on um, women post-breast cancer having HRT and not having an increased risk. No increased okay. risk. Why isn't this no increased risk getting out there? Oh, well, my quite. goodness. This is making there me is, so furious to listen. Yes. So there is, <laughs> there is one study. So we have all these studies that show no increased risk. And then yeah. we have one study called the Habits Study, which everyone quotes, which shows a slight increased risk. Now, when you look at the Habits Study, it was very flawed. It wasn't very, it wasn't oh, a very good again. study. It Not was, again. Yeah, it was, it was only run for about two and a half years. It was a small number of women. 20% were lost to follow up. Um, they were given oh. different forms of HRT by whichever physician was seeing them. There wasn't any standardization, oh. the dose or the amount. <laughs> it was honestly, and actually, and this that is the one that's showed, quoted for, for breast cancer yes, patients. Yes. It is. And oh, it is in, in appalling. Fact, it is a, I had no idea when, when we started this podcast, you know, I had no idea that this is where it was going. I thought we were going to have a big mm. in-depth chat about histamine, but this is this is making yeah. me even more mm. furious than I thought I would, yes. would have been normally when you talk about HRT risk. Mm. Well, it's, it's alarming. And the study actually showed that the women on tamoxifen with HRT had an increased risk of recurrence, but the women on HRT alone post-breast cancer did not have an increased risk so what? it's really you have to really be careful what you believe ah. and what you see and um and we have all these other studies that show no increased risk so you know when you've got large number of studies showing one thing and one study dubiously yes. showing uh, you know, you have to think and, and ask proper questions properly about that. But you also um, have to ask why. I mean, this is, mm. I mean, this is this is a subject for another day, and, and I'm conscious of of, mm. of time. And we've we've spoken for a long time now about a lot of really important things. But presumably, are you in contact with Dr. Louise Newson and the Menopause Doctor yes, website? Yes, yes, and, I know and, very and, well. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. this is this yes. is something that we this... that we need to take further for sure. Yes, there is an excellent book um, called Estrogen Matters by oh, uh, yes. Dr. Avram Blumming. You know it, yes, and Carol Tra know. Travis. Yes, yeah. and he, yeah. he's, it's a great book. And chapter six yeah. is about women post-breast cancer. And he lists all the studies and he describes them all, what they showed. And, um, and it's, it's fascinating. So I mm. decided, um, I, I actually at this conference where I thought, right, I need to go on HRT. I asked the professor if there were any other specialists who had any experience of women post-breast cancer. And he put me in touch with this lovely doctor called Barry Wren, who was working in Sydney and had done a lot of research into women post-breast cancer having HRT. I actually spoke to Barry Wren, tracked him mm. down, and he's become a dear friend um, now. And, um, and he sent me all his studies and he said, look, you, you are cured now. You could get a recurrence because you could get a recurrence. Um, anyway, you know, yeah. Breast, yeah, yes, sure. breast cancer is complex. It's genetic. It's stress. It's your weight, your alcohol, how much you exercise, all sorts of things. Yeah, merged yeah. in together. Now, I obviously still, I am slim. I exercise. I don't drink any alcohol, so I was minimizing my risk factors as much as possible. Mm. But I was still left with my genetics, uh, which weren't going to go away, and so I knew I had a risk of recurrence. But I didn't see why I should deprive myself all the benefits of HRT, yes, having survived yes. breast cancer, I yeah. didn't want to then get osteoporosis and heart disease and mm. not be at more at risk from dementia, etc. Um, because yeah. I'd had breast cancer and survived. So I actually went on to the HRT, felt fantastic, would, was on it for six years when I then developed a second breast cancer. Now, oh, Tina. Yes. So now, now <laughs> what, the, is, what the, a story. The, so what happened? The, well, if you have a second breast cancer, you have a mastectomy. So I then um, actually uh, rang up a very dear friend of mine who I um, uh, love dearly and who is a fantastic reconstructive surgeon. Um, that's Paul Harris. And, and I rang him up and I said, I'm in trouble. I have breast cancer again. I found this tiny little, tiny little lump. 
And he said, right, okay, you know, you're going to have to have a mastectomy on that side. I said, well, actually, I want both of them off, please, because I don't want to be thinking that the other side could also kill me, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. not, you know, looking for a needle in a hair stay. I thought, no, no, if I'm, and also I want to look even, you know, and he has the best breasts ever. And (laughs) so I'm completely, I am completely (laughs) even and look amazing. And, and I I Uh, haven't got any breast tissue left now. Yes, there could be a tiny little bit that they couldn't manage to get rid of, but the, I have yeah. really minimized my risks. I came off HRT for one week um, when <gasps> I knew it was estrogen receptor week. positive. One week. Yeah. It was east- we got the result of the biopsy, which said it was estrogen receptor positive. So yeah. I decided, okay, I better stop taking it because I'd rather it was as small as possible for mm. removal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I had the operation and I went straight back on it. And Did um, you? the Marsden, Gosh. yes, they discharged me. They said, no follow-up. You're absolutely fine. Carry on with your HRT. That's all great. And so and now really? I know this is a very individual decision for women. Yes, Of course, absolutely. and they must discuss it with their, with their surgeon, with their oncologist, but also yep. with a menopause specialist. Yes. They must discuss it with a menopause specialist because yes. we have a different take, I think. And sometimes well, and access to more specific information, obviously, and particularly surgeons. Surgeons are really great at surgery, but not necessarily so good with the management of menopausal symptoms. I, I, yes, I think they're getting better at discussing the percentage improvements for certain treatments. I had a patient recently whose uh, oncologist um, decided with her that she would not take chemotherapy post breast cancer because it only gave her a two percent improvement in her risk of recurrence. And she decided, and they decided together that wasn't worth it. And I'm so pleased that they um, took that decision, um, mm. you know, because that is a very small improvement, especially when it you is consider 2%. women. Yes, and when you consider yeah. the the morbidity um, of taking some of these treatments, and yes. uh, and then you know, and then some of these women, these poor women, they survive breast cancer, but then they feel awful and go into depression uh, because yeah. of their menopause. You know, so yeah. it's about quality yeah. of life. It's also about good health going forwards. Um, and it has yes. to be obviously an individual kind of uh, decision, but with the right information. Yeah. With full information. Well, Tina, honestly, talk about the right information and full information. You are an absolute goldmine. And I'm just oh. so very, very pleased that we were able to get this opportunity to talk. And I had no idea that the things that you would be saying would be quite so profound and so in-depth and so fascinating in so many areas um so a oh. massive thank you and we will absolutely be putting links to so many of the things that you've covered because I think people are going to be fascinated by this they're going to want to listen again and again I know I do I want to go back and replay it already having just spoken to you so I, I cement it into mm. my brain and and follow up with with more information and I'll obviously put details of how people can contact you as well um if yes. if that's okay Lovely. yes no that's fine that's absolutely fine um, and you've got lots yeah, of information on your website as well haven't you so people can have yes, a look have. And, and, yes, and have a research whether it's about menopause definitely. and hrt and whether it's about specifically histamine which is the most fascinating yeah. thing and i would just actually like to end on a very personal note of thanks to you for for seeing my lovely lily and i'm really looking forward to seeing her journey and, and to seeing some real progress being made there thank you Oh, it's a complete pleasure, Liz. And thank you so much for getting the word out there about all these really important issues, um, which hopefully we can help more and more people with. Well, I seriously hope so. I'd love to to record some more with you again in the future because I have a feeling that this one's going to run and run, as they say. So will you come back and chat another time? Certainly. Absolutely. With pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. And sadly, that is all we have time for today. But as always, you will find all the links and the resources mentioned on today's show over on lizardwellbeing.com. And there you can sign up for the free weekly newsletter. This comes packed with my favourite recipes and wellbeing tips. And for all of those who've been asking, I am so pleased to announce that the Series 8 of Lizard Wellbeing Show will start again on the 5th of August. So as always, we have a stellar lineup of wellbeing experts to keep you in the know. But in the meantime, do stay tuned because I'll be keeping your ears entertained with my weekly Friday Five. So until the next time we chat, go well. Bye-bye.
Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, with production by Amaryllis Earl and Harry Trebithic at Heart Dialogue, with thanks to my producer, Ellie Smith, and guest booker, Millie de la Morinière. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.